Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. The text will be on the screen here in a minute as well. But as you're looking for that passage, let me remind you that we are jumping back into our series that we had stopped at the very beginning of the summer, our series called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Now this series is a verse-by-verse walk through the life of Christ from all four Gospels. So in this series, we're bouncing around a bit between the Gospels as we look at the life of Christ chronologically. Now the purpose of this series, uh, Deemer and I prayed about where to go in the preaching ministry of the church way back when Deemer was here over a year ago. And um, at the time, really felt like we needed to preach this series because we needed to worship Christ more rightly. And that's the purpose of the series, is to see Him more fully and worship Him more rightly. So I'm hoping as we look at the life of Christ, it'll stir us up to worship. And um, we are still preaching this series. We're still very early on in the life of Christ. Um, We've been preaching it over a year. We're still early on in Christ's ministry. If you'll remember, His ministry began... In Judea, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, of course, we looked at his birth and the short amount of information we have about his childhood. Then we looked at his ministry beginning in Judea with the baptism of of him being baptized by John the Baptist. Then he returned north through Samaria. That's where he met the woman at the well into his hometown region of Galilee. And we read in Mark chapter 1 that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was Jesus' message. That's what he was preaching. And we last left off in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, where Jesus, after healing Peter's mother-in-law, goes into a desolate place to pray. And after that, he feels compelled by his father to go into other synagogues in the region of Galilee to preach the gospel. And that brings us to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. So Jesus is now going to different portions of Galilee, preaching the gospel. So please stand, if you would, as we read Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 40, and we'll read down to verse 45. The word of the Lord says this. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word now and add to that the blessing upon the preaching of the word. We ask, Lord, that you grant me a mouth that will speak your word accurately and truthfully. Keep me from error. And Lord, I pray that you grant everyone in here ears to hear, ears that will hear the truth this morning. And God, I pray that your word would go forth and produce its desired results. And I pray, Lord, I beg you, Lord, that this word would go out today and we would see people ravaged with the leprosy of sin healed in an instant because they heard and believed your word. 
I pray that would happen today in this very place. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Be seated, please. I brought some props this morning, or actually I borrowed some props this morning, and got crutches up here. I'm just going to grab one right now. Perhaps you've heard people say something along this lines, or, or maybe they're, they're quoting Karl Marx. Karl Marx said this, religion is a crutch for weak-minded people. And people today apply this quote directly to Christianity. We say, ah, Christianity is a crutch for weak-minded people. That great intellectual politician, Jesse the Body Ventura, said something very similar once. Christianity is a crutch and a scam, he said, for weak-minded fools. But why is the thought that Christianity is a crutch, why is that considered a a valid criticism of Christianity? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, we don't look at someone on crutches and say, you fool. I mean, I hope you're not going around looking at, talking to, to crippled people who are walking around the crutches and calling them idiots. No, quite the contrary. If we saw someone who desperately needed to be on crutches and they weren't using their crutches, usually we call that person a fool. Use your crutches, dude. Your foot will heal faster, Anthony. Right? Lauren just said, thank you. You're welcome. We call them a fool for not using the crutches. People don't, in general, think that crutches are a bad thing. Quite the contrary, people consider crutches a good apparatus. But why does a crutch become a bad thing when we think about Christianity? Well, it's quite simple. We don't like to see ourselves as cripples. We like to believe that we're self-reliant. But crippled is exactly what we are. All humanity is crippled by sin. And Christianity teaches us that the only way to truly come to God is to realize our crippled state. Really to realize much more than we're crippled. We are dead. And Christianity is all about realizing we are in desperate need. Not of a crutch, but of the cross. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verses 3 and following, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus doesn't say, find your inner strength. Become self-reliant. Stand strong. No, he says that only in recognizing one's weakness, one's sickness, does one actually find true blessedness. Today's text is a text that drives home that truth. It's a story about a great miracle performed by Jesus. Now the thing about miracles, and we've discussed this before, but I need to remind you, the thing about miracles is that they're not an end unto themselves. The miracles of Jesus were meant to point to and confirm the message of Jesus. Therefore, miracles serve a a parabolic function, meaning that they are teaching us spiritual realities. They are ultimately teaching us about our sin, about our need for Christ, about how we come to him, and about his power to heal, not only physically, 
but spiritually. Like we studied back when we looked at Luke chapter 4 verse 18 earlier in this series. We read this portion of Luke where Jesus is reading from the book of Isaiah concerning himself. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. And set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Though Jesus did demonstrate his authority over sickness and over demons and over blindness and everything that's mentioned here in this text. Ultimately these verses speak of a spiritual deliverance. Because Isaiah himself was speaking of a spiritual deliverance when he gave us these words in the first place. So too does every healing in scripture such as this one here today point us to a deeper spiritual reality. In particular, this miracle here today is very striking. It particularly helps us to see the spiritual realities of what Jesus came to accomplish. Because this miracle today deals with the deadly disease of leprosy. Leprosy, more than any other disease in Scripture, is used by God to represent the ravaging effects of sin. In the Old Testament, leprosy was specifically singled out as a disease that signified the curse of God upon a sinner. And in the law specified, Leviticus 13 through 14 specified that this diseased person had to be put outside the camp. Separated from God's people and God, he had to be put outside the camp because of his leprosy. Leprosy was the most dreaded of diseases in the ancient world. Now the word leprosy, perhaps you've heard this... In Scripture, it does, it does cover a lot of different skin diseases, the worst of which is Hansen's disease, which is what we think of when we hear the word leprosy. Certainly this man had that dreaded form, that Hansen's disease. Certainly he had that dreaded form of leprosy from head to foot, because we read in Luke chapter 5 that he was full of leprosy. This wasn't a case of flaky skin. It was a deadly case of leprosy. Now, leprosy was horrible. It is horrible. You can go Google pictures and see the horrible ravaging effects that leprosy has upon the body. It infects the whole body. It attacks the nervous system, causing the skin to literally rot while it's still on the body. It rots the body to the point where fingers and different parts of the body begin to fall off. Other parts of the body would be totally numb, and and the person would actually rub parts of their body away because they couldn't feel that they were actually rubbing their nose or their face, and the body would just disintegrate as the person did this. Bones would protrude from the body as a result. If you've seen pictures of leprosy, you know that it leaves people disgustingly disfigured. There is no disease that better portrays the hideousness of sin than leprosy. It infects the whole person, and so does sin. It runs deeper than the skin, and so does sin. It contaminates and spreads, and so does sin. It desensitizes the body, and so does sin. It represents certain death, and so does sin. And for man, it's incurable, and so is sin. So with that, I want us to make five observations from the text this morning. Five observations that you see there in your notes. Here's the first one. Observe the leper's dangerous coming despite being an outcast. Observe the leper's dangerous coming. This this act of coming to Jesus, it was dangerous. This dangerous coming despite being an outcast. Mark 1.40. And the leper came to him. But this 
This was not what he was allowed to do. Leviticus 13, which I referred to earlier. Leviticus 13, 45. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Yet here comes this man to where the people are. He comes to Jesus. It was a dangerous coming because he could have been stoned for coming near people. The rabbis had added to God's law, as you know, and there were other things added to what was expected or not expected from lepers, and he could be stoned for even coming near people. This was a dangerous thing. The law demanded that he be an outcast forever. The law demanded that he be an outcast forever. But this man came to the one he must have recognized to be greater than the law. One who could cleanse him and satisfy the law. He was willing to risk it all to get to that man. Do you see that this is our situation too? Friends, the gospel is a call to come. Come to the one who can do something about your condition. Come to the only one who can do something about your condition. The law has already declared you unclean. The law has declared that that we are to be separated from God. Outside the camp. Yet this leper came. And there was no hiding his condition. He was indeed full of leprosy. The only way you can come, friends, is if you come to Jesus recognizing your condition. Recognizing that sin has corrupted you to the core. That it is a disease that has you bound for the grave. And that there is nothing that you can do on your own to overcome it. That's how you have to come. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher once said this. He said, the necessity of understanding sin is indispensable to the spiritual life. What is more, unless you have experienced that, unless you have known that, you are not a Christian. You do not believe in Christ as your personal Savior. Unless you realize you are a sinner, you cannot possibly have felt your need for Christ. You may have felt the need for help and advice and comfort, but until you awake to the fact that indeed your nature itself is evil, until you realize that the trouble is not that you do this or that which is wrong, but that you yourself are wrong, that your whole nature is wrong, until you realize that, you will never feel the need for a Savior. Christ cannot help or advise or comfort until he has first saved you, until he has changed your nature. Oh, my friends, have you felt this? God have mercy on your soul if you have not. This leper realized his condition. So he goes to the Lord and calls out to him. And that's my next observation here. Observe the leper's desperate cry because he was an outcast. Observe the leper's desperate cry because he was an outcast. Mark 140 again. And a leper came to him imploring imploring him and kneeling said to him if you will you can make me clean first he comes with great urgency imploring him begging pleading trying to persuade Jesus to to help him that's how unclean sinners come to Jesus they come with urgency 
but they also come reverently. Look, he's kneeling. This word is oftentimes used in the New Testament to denote worship. It means that this man had great reverence for Jesus. Now, both Matthew and Luke record him as starting off his request to Jesus, what he says here to Jesus, with the word Lord, kurios. And as you probably know, that's a title often used to denote Jesus' deity. Whether or not this man meant it as that, we can't say for sure. But I think he may have seen something in Jesus that caused him to come to that conclusion. So the man is coming with urgency and reverence. And we also see him coming with humility. He doesn't presume that he's owed anything. That's how a lot of sinners supposedly come to Jesus thinking, well, God, you owe me something. Look at the life I've lived. Look at everything that's happened to me. I'm coming to you, Jesus, because I deserve a break. It's not how he comes. He doesn't come expecting to be owed anything. He simply says, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. He recognizes that his cleansing is outside of his own hands. Outside of his own willpower. He needs Christ to will it. Friends, that's how sinners come to Jesus, knowing that they are powerless in and of themselves to be saved. And thus they cast themselves on the will of Christ. And he does not cast out those who come to him in such a way. What is that way? What's the way of faith? This man came not only urgently, reverently, and with humility, but he also comes in faith. Notice that he doesn't doubt that Jesus can heal. He doesn't say, if you can Like we'll see someone say later on in Mark chapter 9. He knows. He believes that Jesus can heal. He's just questioning whether or not it's Jesus' will to cleanse him. Now the fact that he has faith that Jesus can heal, that says a lot. Remember, leprosy was an incurable disease. The healing in this text, along with the healing of ten lepers in Luke chapter 17 are the only two instances of leprosy being healed in the New Testament. Likewise, in the Old Testament, there are only two recorded healings of leprosy. The first was Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. You remember God struck her with leprosy because she was talking about Moses in a disrespectful way. And then the other one in the Old Testament is the healing of the Assyrian general Naaman in in 2 Kings chapter 5. Both times... With Naaman and Miriam, God healed the person directly without any human agency involved. Anyone in Israel would have known only God can heal leprosy. That's what the king of Israel said when Naaman, in the story of Naaman, when Naaman sends him a letter saying he's seeking healing for his leprosy, the king reads the letter and we read in 2 Kings 5 verse 7, we read this, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God? To kill and to make alive? He knew the situation Naaman was in. Only God could solve that problem. Rabbis of the day had had a saying about leprosy. They said it's easier to raise the dead than heal leprosy. Everyone knew that only God could heal leprosy. Yet this man comes and believes. He has faith that Jesus can do it. He's not questioning whether or not Jesus can do it. He just wants to know if Jesus is willing to do it. 
He definitely had a high view of Jesus, so perhaps he did mean Kyrios, Lord, as a divine title after all. Oh, friends, this is how sinners come. Urgently, reverently, humbly, and believingly, meaning with faith. So we've observed the leper now. And now I want to observe the Lord's reaction. Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Here's our next point. Observe our Lord's daring compassion by touching the outcast. Observe our Lord's daring compassion by touching the outcast. It says that Jesus was moved with pity. Jesus looked at this man and he looked beyond the hideous exterior and his heart was moved with compassion. He looked beyond the disfigured body and saw a man made in the image of his father. Jesus is not callous to the suffering of humanity. No, he indeed entered into our humanity, into our suffering, and has compassion on us. The church, we still have so much to learn from Jesus. We too must look and see beyond the hideous nature of sin and see people. People made in the image of God. We must hate the sin and refuse to participate in the sin while still having pity and compassion for the soul that is ravaged by the sin. And I hope and we pray that our union with Christ will demonstrate itself through our compassion toward sinners. We want to have Christ's compassion. You see, because everyone else there pulled away. It doesn't say that in the text, but I can guarantee you the moment this dude showed up, everyone went, whoa, leper. Only Jesus reached out. True compassion goes beyond words, and it's demonstrated. Christ's compassion was a compassion that produced action. His compassion was demonstrated as he stretched out his hand and touched him. He reached out to the man when the social norms and even the law said that he needed to pull back. I can only imagine that all those around Jesus had already begun to pull back, like I said, but not Jesus. He reaches out. His compassion is put on display. He touched the man. Now the word here for touch also means to grab or to take hold. So it's not like Jesus is just going, he, he's touching the man. I can imagine him grabbing the man's shoulders. He takes hold of him. Jesus had the power to simply speak the man's healing. He could have just stayed back and said, be healed. But he chose to demonstrate his compassion and his power by touching the man. Jesus did what was unthinkable. It was, it was daring. It was unthinkable. No one in their right mind would do this. Now, I want you to think about something. By doing this, Jesus was risking becoming ceremonially unclean. By touching the leper, Jesus himself was risking becoming unclean. This is more than compassion then. What he's doing here is he is identifying with this man. This man is unclean and Jesus touches him. Thus, by all the standards of the day, he himself became unclean. This is a microcosm of Jesus' ministry. He came to identify with sinners and to take on our infirmities, to take on our uncleanliness, to take on our curse. He didn't just heal our diseases and our sin. He bore them. Let me say that again. 
Jesus didn't just heal our sin. He bore it. He came to identify with sinners. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. But of course, sin has no power over Jesus. Though he identified with the man by touching him, he himself was holy. And thus, the uncleanliness of sin found no place on or in him. He bore our sins, yet remained sinless. He identified with this man's uncleanliness, but remained clean. But Jesus did more than just identify with this man's uncleanliness by reaching out and touching him. Jesus also did away with the man's uncleanliness by simply speaking. Observe our Lord's definitive cleansing spoken to the outcast. Observe our Lord's definitive cleansing spoken to the outcast. And I apologize if these uh, if the notes feel a little awkward. I, I was this time really trying to get letters that, that matched up. I mean, no, words that matched up with letters and everything. But, but I think you're getting the point. Observe our Lord's definitive cleansing spoken to the outcast. Verse 41. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. I will be clean. And at Jesus' word, this man was clean. Raw divinity is on display here, my friends, in Jesus. Jesus simply speaks the disease out of existence in this man's body. By his will, it was done. I will. When he says I will here, it's a present active indicative verb, meaning I am willing, I'm always willing, and I will forever be willing. It's a continuous action. I am willing, I'm always willing, and I forever will be willing. But the verb here to be clean is an aorist passive imperative verb, meaning it's a definitive act at a point in time. So Jesus says, I am willing, forever willing, that at this moment now you be clean. Jesus never changes. His grace is sufficient and was poured out from before time. Yet he chooses, he wills in time and space to save men and women at a moment. He changes the heart at a moment from a diseased heart to a new heart. Instantly, immediately. And that's what we read here in verse 42. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Immediately, instantaneously, this man's leprosy is gone. The sores disappeared. Fingers had returned. Hair reappeared. And everyone can now see this man is clean. The raw authority and power of Christ is on full display in the healing of this man. And is on full display in the saving of sinners as well. For in a moment, God also renews the heart. And man is declared clean before God. Now, although in our life we are gradually growing and becoming who we already are, if you are saved, you are clean now, declared clean before God forever. You were clean the instant Christ saved you. Our leprosy was defeated. But at the same time, until we get to that point where we are with him forever, We are still growing into who we already are, who we've already been declared to be. And our cleanliness, our healing is secure. I'm sure that there are some spiritual lepers in this room. I pray that those in here today who are still spiritual lepers, that you would be like this man and 
Come and call upon the name of Jesus. Come to him and find that in him is the only solution for your leprosy. The only healing. I'm sure there's some spiritual lepers in this room. And oh, how I hope you leave this room today cleansed by Christ's word. I will be clean. Hear the word. Hear the word this morning. Oh, that God would give you ears to hear and that your heart would be transformed. That's the power of God's word. The Bible is Christ's word and as it is preached, it has the power to declare sinners clean. Oh, that you would have ears to hear the word and be cleansed from your leprosy this morning. For your leprosy is indeed a death sentence, friend, if you do not receive Jesus' healing. Your leprosy is a death sentence. And that's what the gospel is all about. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus coming to identify with sinners, taking on human flesh, entering into our weakness, yet not sinning. He died the death we deserved, a substitute in our place, and he gave us his righteousness so that we could be with God. Sins forgiven, righteousness given, leprosy taken away, health given, uncleanliness removed, cleanliness given. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had, speaking of Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And this sinless, perfect, blameless, leprosy-free Savior touched sinners identifying with them, taking the curse upon himself. That's why Jesus came ultimately. It wasn't to heal lepers physically, but to heal people spiritually. This miracle points to a greater miracle, namely that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to die. He came to proclaim the gospel. That was his mission. And that's why he gives this newly healed leper a very strong command at the end of this uh, passage of Scripture here. Which leads me to our last observation of the morning. Observe our Lord's disregarded command, which made him an outcast. Observe our Lord's disregarded command, which made him an outcast. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest. And offer your cleansing, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Now the language here that Jesus is speaking, it's stronger than what comes across in our English translations. He says he sternly charged him. The verb literally means to snort, like a horse. It carries an idea of indignation, almost a rebuke. It's almost as if Jesus is angry. And perhaps... Perhaps he already knows that the man is going to disregard his command. Perhaps that's part of it here. But regardless, he wants this man to know he's serious. And then he sent him away, which literally means he cast him out. Why so rough now, Jesus? Well, I think it's because Jesus is deadly serious about the main reason why he's come. And it wasn't to do miracles per se, but to proclaim the gospel. 
Remember that the miracles were meant to point to the message. He knew that miracles might draw crowds, but crowds might distract from the mission. That's why earlier in Mark, when the crowds were looking for him, after a round of great healings, he said to Peter in Mark 1.38, Let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He didn't come out just to do miracles. He came out to preach the gospel. The miracles simply pointed to the message of the gospel. And Jesus knew that if this man goes out and starts flapping his mouth about what Jesus did for him, because this was indeed a spectacular miracle, the most spectacular up to this point. Like I said, leprosy was a big deal. And he goes out and starts to talk to people. Crowds are going to come. And it's going to keep Jesus from being able to do what he wants to do, that is to go into the towns and preach the gospel. That was his main mission. He knew what we should know, and that is miracles can become a sideshow. All you have to do is flip on your Christian TV and you see what a sideshow they are. It's like a circus. So he tells the man, see that you say nothing to anyone. He didn't want the man going around and drumming up miracle-seeking crowds. Jesus had already dealt with this back in Judea, remember, in John chapter 2. People were coming to him and believing in his name because they wanted signs. They wanted more miracles. He'll deal with it again in John chapter 6. He'll feed the 5,000 and they'll want more bread. All the people are hard-hearted in the scriptures. They want Jesus to do stuff for them. Do miracles for me, Jesus. Fix this, fix that, do a miracle. All the while, they're hardened to the message of the gospel. You don't need more bread. You need living bread. And so that's why Jesus is telling this man to say nothing. Friends, Jesus wasn't tempted by crowds and popularity. He wasn't a numbers guy. He knew that numbers and crowds could actually be counterproductive to the mission and could distract him from the task. Oh, we have so much to learn from Jesus today. We are so infatuated with size and numbers and influence and blogs how many are reading our blog? How many are downloading our podcast? And we're so infatuated with these things. Jesus, I shouldn't say he wasn't tempted with those. He was tempted. He resisted those temptations. He said, no, I'm keeping the main thing the main thing. It may mean actually smaller crowds. Because we're going to preach the gospel. And if we preach the gospel and the crowds are small, we're on task. But if we deviate from the gospel and the crowds get big, we're in trouble. That's not to say God can't draw large crowds with the gospel. He can. He did it in Scripture as well. On the day of Pentecost, thousands were saved. Glory to God. But Peter didn't go out looking for, like what we did when we launched this church, me and the other guy I was launching with the night before, we said, hey, let's pray for a number. What idiots we were. Let's pray for a number. And I had a number in my head I was praying for. Didn't come close. He actually wasn't the idiot. My friend Greg. Because I was praying for 100 people on our launch Sunday. Because I had read somewhere, if you don't launch with 100, you're dead. Okay, so I was praying for 100, 100. Lord, we're going to have 100 tomorrow. I think we had 30. Um, but Greg was praying for one. I said, Greg, how many did you pray for? Did, you, did it hit your number? He said, well, yeah, I prayed for one. I said, what do you mean? He said, I pray for one person to be affected by the gospel. Where are you, Toby and Kristen? You're that one. You're that one. 
And God had to teach me the hard way what I should have known from simply reading the scriptures. That it's not about the numbers. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. We have so much to learn. Thank goodness he teaches us, right? And he's patient with us. And he, and he disciplines us like a father disciplines a son. And though it may be difficult and hard in the time being, it's for our good. And it produces a fruit of righteousness in our life. Praise God for his discipline. Now Jesus wanted to keep the proclamation of the gospel central. So he says here, say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. So basically Jesus is telling this man to go obey Leviticus 14, which lays out very detailed legal requirement for what was expected for a leper to be declared clean. Now Jesus didn't come to negate the law, he came to fulfill the law. And so this man was to go to show himself as a proof to them. Now this phrase, it has sort of a double meaning. You don't catch it in the English, but it has a double meaning. Now, the phrase, first of all, means that he was to show himself to them and prove that the leprosy was indeed gone. To show his clean skin. Prove that he was no longer filled with leprosy. But the phrase also means a testimony against them. So he was go to show himself as a testimony against them as well as a proof that he was clean. What is this meaning? Perhaps it's foreshadowing, friends, where these high priests would ultimately end up being. You see, these high priests ultimately were unwilling to see that someone greater than Moses was now here. And this was a testimony against them. They should have seen. The moment they saw a healed leper, they should have been wondering, who was this man? For only God can heal leprosy. But they didn't. This served as a testimony against them. Their own hard-heartedness. Ultimately, these priests will reject their Messiah and fail to see that he was indeed the fulfillment of the law. They kept putting their hope in what could not heal. For the law has no power to heal. It can only point out sin. Only Jesus could deal with the sin. Romans 8.3 For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so this healing of leprosy was a proof to them. It was a testimony against them that Jesus, God incarnate, had come if they would only believe. So now as we conclude, we notice that this man, unfortunately, did not obey Jesus. He ran the red light of Jesus' command. Jesus says, stop, don't say anything. Now, perhaps this man was overcome with joy and amazement, which is understandable. I mean, if you're missing your pinky finger and it reappears, boom, you're excited. Perhaps that's what's going on. So we, can, we want to be understandable here, but he still violated God's word. He went out, and says in verse 45, and began talking freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus, now listen to this, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter. Do you see what happens here at the end of the story? The leprous man began as an outcast outside the city walls. But he comes to Jesus who identifies with him and heals him. And as a result, Jesus is now the outcast. 
he traded places with Jesus. Jesus could no longer openly come inside the city walls, but was kept outside in desolate places. Jesus traded places with this man, and that's exactly what he does for sinners. He stands as a substitute in our place. For he would become the ultimate outcast on our behalf. Taken outside the city of Jerusalem. Outside the walls. Nailed to a cross reserved for insurrectionists and slaves. And there he was nailed in shame and in humiliation and disgrace. He was the ultimate outcast. Taking what we deserved upon himself. We deserve to be out there. Outside the wall. Being shamed and humiliated because of our sin. And he traded places with us. Hebrews 13, 12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. He was the outcast. He was called leprous and cast away. Of course, the grave could not hold him. Yes, he bore our sins, but he was no sinner. Thus the grave had no authority over him, just as leprosy has no authority over a clean man. So he rose again, and in him, those who are united to him by faith, we also have new life. He is not only our substitute on the cross, he's our substitute in the grave. So he died in our place on our behalf, and he rose in our place on our behalf. So that now we are buried with him in his death, and we are raised to walk in newness of life. But we must come, we must see our sin, we must call upon the name of the Lord, Kurios, Jesus, and be saved. So we think about our crutch here. Jesus said in Mark 2, 17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you see your sickness this morning? Do you see your state? Until you do, you won't come to Jesus. You can't. Oh, I pray that God would open your eyes through the Holy Spirit to see your leprous condition. To see how lame you are. Or as we studied in our Bible study class this morning, even more than that, to see that you are dead in your sins. And you desperately need Jesus, the great physician, to speak new life into you, to raise you up, and to bring you to himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you for your word. I praise you, Lord, that sinners aren't saved because of good persuasion and good presentation techniques of preachers. Or good evangelistic tactics by believers who are sharing their faith. I praise you that sinners are saved by the imperishable word of God. Penetrating hard hearts and making them new. And so, Father, our only hope there this morning. Not only for those in here who are unbelievers, but also for us believers in here this morning. We grow by the word as well. Our only hope in here is that your word has gone forth. And that it is planted into our hearts. And that that seed will produce fruit. And for the believers in here, the fruit of righteousness. A life that now obeys Christ unlike 
unlike this man in the story. And so that we hear Jesus speak to us through his word, we say, yes, Lord. We love his commands. And for those in here who are unbelievers or cultural Christians, nominal Christians, whatever word you want to use, Father, I pray for them. I pray that their hearts would be made new. I pray, Lord, for new life to genuinely spring up. It is nothing that they can fabricate through church attendance and through good deeds. and It has to be born of you. And so, God, I pray, Lord, this morning for your word to go forth and to bring forth life and healing. Lord, I would love to see this morning lepers healed, spiritual lepers made clean. I beg you for that, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.